another big give day for Willamette Week's Give Guide. Just for today, Give Guide has a Black Pack Black Friday offer. When you donate $10 or more, you'll get a chance to win a handmade Made in Portland backpack from Black Pack. If you're 35 or under, you'll also get a chance to win a Zero Wallet and an Anything Organizer, both from Black Pack. Donate to KBU on Give Guide today to support your favorite community radio station and get a chance to win the Black Pack Black Friday offer. Just go to kboo.fm slash give. And don't forget, all new and increasing donations will be matched one-to-one up to $25,000 thanks to an anonymous donor. So show your support today and give back this Black Friday. That's kboo.fm slash give. For more information about this Give Guide offer and to donate to KBU on Give Guide, just go to kboo.fm slash give. You are listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. <laughs> Yo, check this out. Hard Knock Radio coming at you. Bringing the noise. This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Number 1. News, views, and hip-hop. This is Sister Soldier on Hard Knock Radio. Listen closely. Que pasa, raza? This is Deuce Eclipse, the Oi Joaquin, your parte chino. Check it out. Listening to Hard Knock Radio. Hey, this is Patrice Russian. And whenever I'm in the Bay Area and I need good information and great radio, it's all about Hard Knock Radio. And again, you're tuned to Hard Knock here on the Pacifica Network. I'm Anita Johnson. As the Trump administration continues to bombard U.S. citizens with his vision of what will make America great again, across the nation, people of faith are attending services in search of sanctuary, solace, spiritual and political guidance from their religious leaders. Up next, we'll examine the conceptual framework of liberation theology. We will explore why this theology, with its focus on political activism and resistance, is resonating with faith communities hungry for social justice during these trying times. I mean, I know that we're all turned up right now, as we should be, around the ways in which this administration is putting stress and pressure on many of our families and deporting them. That's Pastor McBride. He's a senior pastor at the Way Christian Center in Berkeley, California. It's a sunny Sunday morning, 
and the church is filled with about a hundred people who have gathered for fellowship. Pastor McBride's sermon, The Sunken Place, is a creative take on the movie Get Out. You know, the last administration was deporting millions of folk too. Now what is it about we as a people that we can see all this death around us is contributing to a sunken place in our lives. The 41-year-old Pentecostal preacher is hip and witty. He considers himself not only a spiritual leader, but a community organizer. Today's sermon skillfully showcases the intersectionality of pop culture, biblical scripture, and resistance. His approach to teaching the gospel is in the tradition of liberation theology, a branch of theology developed by Catholics and Christians looking to examine the church's role in society to address the social, political, and economic realities of the oppressed. McBride sees social justice not as an ancillary part of Christian faith, but a central one. Some folks will feel like, that's not Christian. I'm, I'm just trying to be Christian. And I say, well, if you believe being baptized makes you a Christian and taking communion makes you a Christian and speaking in tongues makes you a Christian, then I want to help you understand how doing justice makes you a Christian as well. Um, that we are achieving faithfulness to God when we um, fight for the poor, when we defend the rights of those who are being oppressed. Now, in a very practical way, um, if you are a pastor of a church and the members in your congregation are being um, abused by the powers and the systems of society. Um, I, I think that if you care about your people, you're going to care about the injustice being perpetrated upon them. McBride has a list of examples of the many ways faith leaders should engage community. Um, I've had to bury too many teenagers in my own church. And my church is not a mega church. So this idea that, you know, a dozen or so children have been killed in my 10 years of ministry requires me to do something that I can't accomplish solely by preaching on a Sunday morning. Um, it requires me to do something with my people because I'm only one person. My people can actually reach many more people if I help them understand that your prayers, your worship, your faithfulness, your attendance, um, is is a part of your Christian duty, how you vote, how you uh, stand up at the school board meeting, how you march at night in the neighborhoods when there's violence, how you show up at a die-in, how you show up at the state house, how you show up in Ferguson or or Oakland or 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 St. Louis or or uh, Chicago. That is just as much a part. Reverend Cheryl Ward of Cheryl Ward Ministry says. Liberation theology is refreshing to black people because it shifts the focus of Christian sermons from obedience and servitude to empowerment and social justice. Before, you know, we were taught uh, scriptures uh, like slave obey your masters. The, the scriptures that kept us in bondage. And liberation theology has uh, more to do with um, addressing the oppressed and taking uh, scripture and and implementing it into the lives of the oppressed so that they can grab a hold of their their liberation there's a scripture Galatians 5 and 1 as a matter of fact I'm going to be preaching from this on Sunday it says stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free and be not entangled again unto the yoke of bondage so therein I think is a real core of of liberation theology so it is helping us see ourselves as free giving us the tools to free ourselves and then giving us the tools that keep us from going back into bondage. Pastor McBride values liberation theology because it offers an inspirational framework that presents Christ as an advocate for the oppressed a community organizer and a person who dedicated his life to protesting the deeds of the wicked. But we also see all through the life of Jesus that he fed folk when they were hungry. He healed folk when they were sick. Uh, Jesus had a health care plan that, that, that made sure folks didn't die on his watch, right? It was universal. <laughs> it was a universal health care plan. Um, Jesus uh, uh, was not a capitalist. Right? Jesus had a radical economy that upset uh, the natural order of things that many of Jesus actions themselves were considered an act of protest him healing the sick person on the Sabbath 
it was an act of protest, right? Certainly it was defying the uh, law of the day. Despite the popularity of liberation theology right now in communities of color, it comes with challenges, says Adrian Felpart, a member at the Way Christian Center. Being in this community where liberation theology undergirds how we interpret scripture, how we talk about and follow God's way and Christ's teaching and being on earth, it hits me in the face all the time. I am constantly being challenged. So just when I think I got a little bit, not even a lot, just a little bit, it's like, oh, but how are you really loving your neighbor? And then breaking that down even further. So are you willing to give your neighbor space to sleep? With a political climate that fosters fear of the other and targets marginalized communities across the nation, Pastor McBride wants to make sure that the church is doing all it can to protect community. He's building upon the current momentum of support for sanctuary cities to open up a broader discussion about what sanctuary really means. We believe that the lives of our undocumented loved ones, religious minorities, um, black and brown folk who are documented, quote unquote, who are citizens, um, should not be subject to arbitrary violence in, in the cities of America. Now, it is the case that there has not been one day in the history of this country where the lives of black and brown folks, indigenous folk, poor folk have not been subjected to arbitrary violence at the hands of the state. So I believe this sanctuary opportunity, this movement um, that is righteous, that is necessary, uh, requires us to continue to push for the full inclusion and human rights of every single human being who makes up this land called the United States of America. So the church, I believe, has to be a space where the lives of all people can be protected. Um, what does it mean for us to be imaginative and uh, build uh, maybe underground railroads of sorts where uh, folks can come and seek shelter? What does it mean for us to have food programs and uh, places of refuge if people are, are feeling like they are being overwhelmed or targeted by these federal entities? Um, what does it mean for us to make our city sanctuary cities. The churches should stand up together and make sure that no federal law enforcement apparatus can work through our local police departments unless they are abiding by our values and our ordinances. As a new sanctuary movement takes shape, church leaders like McBride are preparing to stand up against the current administration's efforts to deport undocumented immigrants living in the U.S. Now more than ever, religious leaders whose passions are steeped in faith are developing creative responses to protect the oppressed and ensure liberation of all. I'm Anita Johnson. Say 
what goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. And everything that Jamal is an award-winning journalist who spent many of his years in media exposing police violence against communities of color. 
1982, he was convicted and sentenced to death for the alleged shooting death of a Philadelphia police officer. Abu Jamal has spent over three decades in prison, almost all of it in solitary confinement. In 2012, his death sentence was overturned by federal courts. Decades later, Mumia's trial is still among the most well-known and controversial death row cases in recent history. Many argue that Mumia is a sentenced murderer who's not worthy of the accolades he receives. Yet domestic as well as international support has argued that Mumia did not receive a fair trial and evidence points to his innocence. Mumia, though incarcerated, has been able to pen multiple books, including the acclaimed book of essays, Live from Death Row. In 2004, I spoke with Mumia about his first work of history, Faith of Our Fathers, an examination of the spiritual life of African and African-American people. This book searches the diverse spiritual life of African people who, dispersed from their motherland, molded a love of freedom and resistance to racism into religious practice. As he fights for his own freedom, Mumia writes about the freedom struggles of millions and the rich tradition of black liberation theology. Mumia began our conversation by explaining his reason for writing Faith of Our Fathers. Well, part of it was personal. Uh, I was talking to uh, one of my daughters, and she was telling me about uh, her oldest son. And uh, he apparently had seen something on TV. And uh, he said, he came up to her and he said, Mommy, our people were slaves? And it was this, like unbelief, you know, in his voice. And when she told me the story, I was stunned by it. And it dawned on me that there's a whole generation of, you know, black kids who, uh, because of the lack of uh, history and cultural information in their lives, had no real idea of who they were. And while this is not written specifically for children, it's written for um everybody in my opinion but young people were certainly on my mind when I when I thought about putting it out mm. well that's interesting especially when one considers theological education in young people um, I think it's fair to say that young people of today have moved further away from religion and closer to spirituality do you view this book as a way of connecting the two and making it relevant for today's youth by the infusion of black theology liberation I I think of them and I was uh, thinking of them when I was writing it. Uh, and that's because I think we live in a country that is um, ahistorical in a lot of ways. Well, what history in America could be further below than African history and the history of captives, the people who were uh, brought here in chains against their will, uh, African people? Um, Mia, I want to go back to the issue of captives and oppressors. Um, I remember a quote by John Henry Clark, and he says, um, as a child of God, God is a part of you. God is supposed to look like you. When one accepts the picture of a deity assigned to you by another people, you become the spiritual prisoners of that people. What does that statement mean to you? Because you also cover it within the book. Well, um, I think that's a truism. I mean, John Henry Clark has put it perhaps more elegantly than, than others. But um, I'm, I can't re really bring it to memory right now, but I remember a poem, and uh, I'm trying to think of who that poet was. Uh, Ezra Pound, I think, who uh, said, African gods have snub noses. The Nordic gods are blonde with blue eyes. If lions and oxen could paint, we should doubtless see them also making gods in their image. Uh, all people who are free are free because of their freedom to define for themselves uh, the realm of the spirit, uh, the nature of their spiritual life. And because we were not free, and because this was imposed upon African people by the very people who were doing violence to them, this was... Um, another way of doing violence to him. It was doing violence to the spirit as well as to uh, the mind of African people. So uh, they gave us uh, uh, a religion of acquiescence. It is to the captive people's credit, eternal credit, that they transformed that into a liberating religion. I mean, they, 
essentially ignored most of what the captives, uh, so-called uh, slave masters, said, and developed a kind of um, we we are the people of Israel religion, and this country is Egypt, and we gotta find a promised land. You know that that was brilliance. That was native genius. But they you know they had to fight hard to get that, and they had to essentially ignore everything they were quote-unquote taught by the slave master. I can see that, and that transformation uh, evolved out of necessity, but how has the practice of spirituality evolved within the African-American consciousness of today? Well, in some ways, we're locked in uh, the tombs of history, in that in some ways, in some communities, of course, it has not developed. Um, in other ways, um, there are, I think, no people in America who are um, more acutely religious, but also um, dare to challenge the lessons that they were given by history by creating a new kind of history. I mean, if you look at the Nation of Islam, you look at, on every street corner, in every black community of America, you have uh, a small church that departs, right? from the dominant theme and creates their own kind of spiritual tradition. So, you know, many people are very uh, spiritually vigorous in a way. Vigorous, but traditional. It's almost as if black religious institutions have failed to include the political with the spiritual. Um, Mumia, what's your views on the degree of the lack of community leadership exercised within black churches? Well, that's what I meant about um, the kind, the lack of development in some some uh, some of our spiritual life. Um, much of um, what we see in our churches is a, um, a concretization, a conservative nature that refuses to really uh, come to grips with the nature of our day-to-day um, -day life in this country. So. Uh, churches become places where we flee from the hell of our uh, nine to five and Monday to Friday existence and uh, our Saturday night partying existence. And so we, you know, we, we flee to heaven rather than deal with this hell that we deal with every day of our lives. And uh, it really shouldn't be that. But shouldn't there be more of an active role uh, by black churches, especially when one considers the role that they played or, or took part in the civil rights movement? What happened to that type of activism? For me, educating a people spiritually is extremely important, but let's move beyond the norm, especially uh, when one considers uh, black liberation theology. I agree that it should be, but when we look at history, I mean, we have to remember that Martin Luther King uh, the Martin Luther King that we talk about today is not the Martin Luther King that lived on this earth uh, because um, he was rejected. You know, many of the people that have pictures of him in, in their houses and uh, on their uh, church walls today uh, gave him hell when he was alive, especially towards his uh, later years. He was, uh, he was uh, when he condemned, for example, the Vietnam War at Riverside Church, and he condemned capitalism, essentially. Oh, he caught hell, you know. And many of the people that are now praising his name said, you know, he's crazy and uh, he's a troublemaker and he's even stepped over the line. And uh, and so, th you know, we we forget that uh, because he's so lionized and so um, uh, deified in a way today. Now, as we begin to wrap up, I have one last question. Um, it's regarding the title of your book, The Face of Our Fathers. I'm looking at it. Uh, looking at the title, that is, one might assume it lacks inclusion of women in spiritual leadership. However, what I found most interesting was its exploration of the role of women as spiritual leaders. Why did you decide to include this in the book, and why have we forgotten to recognize this also important element? Because, again, because of the conservative nature of uh, not just the black church, but church in particular. I mean, one of the things I say when I talk about the divine feminine is that most churches have a feminine body. They just have a male head. And so, I mean, the body of the church being feminine, how can you ignore, uh, you know, the head? You know, how can you exclude the head from, from you know, from thinking? And uh, uh, so I, I consciously, uh, because of what I have been reading and what I've been thinking about, and, and because of uh, uh, 
some of the developments that came through studying uh, James Cone's black theology, uh, I had to think seriously about the divine feminine. And also, uh, you know, we forget that uh, the first inhuman existence, and especially in African existence, but all around the world, um, the divine feminine wasn't a dirty word. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was central. It was sacred to understanding the nature of the divine. And we've lost a lot of that here in America. That's the voice of Mumia Abu-Jamal discussing his book, Faith of Our Fathers, an examination of the spiritual life of African and African-American people. I would like to thank Mumia Abu-Jamal for speaking with me and Prison Radio Project for assistance with the interview. gates in high desert yeah. open our mind as we cast away oppression yeah. open the streets and watch our beliefs and when they carve my name inside the concrete i pray it forever reads Keep running cause the winner don't quit on themselves. 
For Pam Fine, Dean of Students at Oxford High School, her criticisms of the TV show 13 Reasons Why start with the title. It just sounds as if there's a reason why. There's no reason. There's never a reason. There's not a million reasons. Suicide is a sensitive topic on Fine's campus. Two students from Oxford High died by suicide in recent years. So when 13 Reasons Why was released on Netflix, everyone on campus was talking about it. Vine says a faculty member pulled her aside to say they needed to come up with some kind of response. Standing there like right then, I was like, hey, you know what, we could try. I thought, how do you reframe 13 Reasons Why were you blame people? And it would be 13 Reasons Why not where you thank people for being your hope and your inspiration and positive factor in your life. Oxford senior... Kayla Manzella is one of the 13 students who recorded stories for the project. Manzella talked about being bullied her freshman year after joining the JV volleyball team. This is part of the recording that played for all 1,800 students during the morning announcements. Things were said to me that no one deserves to hear. I always thought to myself, why me? What could I have done for someone to possibly hate me so much? One day at practice, I heard the worst thing someone could ever hear. Why don't you just go kill yourself? Being the vulnerable 14-year-old I was, I thought to myself, would anything really change if I wasn't here? Manzella's recording ends with a shout-out to her friend, Alexa, for helping her get through it. You may not realize how big of an impact your words had on me, and for that, I could simply never repay you. So thank you, Alexa, for being the bright light in my dark time. You are one of the 13 reasons why not. Fellow senior Dylan Koss recorded a message about homophobia. I heard the jokes about me, but more importantly, I hear, that's gay, you look gay, about everyday things. The message is always the same. Gay is bad. Gay isn't bad. Gay isn't good. Gay is just who I am. Koss says the school hallways have felt different since the project started, more supportive and cohesive, and that sharing his personal story has helped him, too. Listening to yourself on the PA system, um, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. After hearing that, I will never forget that feeling, like I've finally come to terms 100%. Oxford High administrators require parental permission before students share their stories in school. For many, including Koss, it was the first time they talked to their families about what they'd been through. We keep our stories in to protect our parents, not to protect ourselves. Senior Riley Junty also kept her pain secret from parents and friends. I was struggling with this very, very dark period of my life, but then I also had to go to school and act like a perfect student and get all A's and um, put on put on a face that really wasn't my own. Junty was the first student at Oxford High to volunteer for the project. Other students I talked to say her announcement gave them the courage to finally come forward with their own stories. In her recording, Junty addresses her abuser and the isolation she felt from her friends. Worthless, self-centered, no morals, easy, grimy, cake face. You would be better off dead. That's just the start of what you would label me as every day for two years. They asked me why I didn't leave you sooner, why I chose to stay in an abusive relationship. I was afraid. Administrators say first period tardies have been down because students want to be in their seats to hear the stories. I asked Oxford High's Dean of Students, Pam Fine, if she was afraid to go there, to talk so openly about teen suicide in school. It's terrifying that teens are killing themselves, but it doesn't frighten me at all to sit with kids and say, talk to us. Fine says teens are going to watch 13 Reasons Why, and they're going to talk about it. She says 13 Reasons Why Not was a way to make that dialogue more meaningful. I'm Valencia White. Let's get this understood. It's only one reason why we here today. We 
trying to make real music so the people can relate. Learning from these hard knocks, slipping in these hard knocks, listening to hard knocks, questioning the podcast. Learning through these hard knocks, living for this hip hop, listening to hard knocks, ripping to the hard side. Learning from the hard knocks, living in these hard knocks, listening to hard knocks, questioning the podcast. Learning through these hard knocks, living for this hip hop, listening to hard knocks, ripping to the hard side. And again, you're tuned to Hard Knock on the Pacifica Network. Up next, joining us by phone is Sade, one of the co-founders of Hard Knock Radio and her very talented daughter, Yashima Bet, one of the 10 talented youth bakers put to the test on season two of Kids Baking Championship on the Food Network channel. And Yashima Bet was a runner up. And again, I'm just pleased to have both of them uh, joining us today by phone, especially because of this upcoming fundraiser event that Yashima Bet has put together in order to raise dough to help build a kitchen so that she can cook out of uh, and then also bring awareness to the issue of human sex trafficking. So with that said, I welcome both of you to the program. Thank you, Anita, having us. Now, you know, just jumping straight into it, you know, we're short on time. There's a lot happening today on the program, but uh, I wanted to make sure that we gave you all the opportunity to come on the program to talk a bit about this upcoming fundraiser, the big things that you're doing and planning to do uh, with this upcoming fundraiser. Maybe talk a bit about that. Uh, So the fundraiser party is tomorrow, and I'm fundraising to build out a kitchen space at Red Bay Coffee. The goal is to raise $25,000. Originally, we changed it, but we wanted to be realistic and to meet our goal. So next week, we will be launching our Kickstarter, and if you go to We Need Dough on Kickstarter, you will find um, the link to donate. And We Need Dough, spell that out for our listeners, please. We, K-N-E-A-D. No. D-O-U-G. I thought that was really cute. I, that was that's really cute. <laughs> it's because kneading and a sense of dough and you're a baker. Anyway, was that mm-hmm. corny? Was that corny, y'all? I don't know. But anyway, I thought it was cute. Yeah. I thought it was cute to point out. And then also, if we just say we need dough, most listeners are thinking N-E-E-D. Um, also, you guys plan on bringing awareness to the issue of human trafficking. Maybe if you can talk a bit about that. Great. I'll oh, take uh, that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Yasima Beth. Oh, I was going to say that we are raising awareness on sex trafficking and we are donating part of the proceeds from this fundraiser to an organization called MISSEY in Oakland, M-I-S-S-S-E-Y. They serve sexually exploited youth and they have a great organization and I thought that what they're doing is really important and it's not brought up enough and that's why I chose to donate to them. Well, especially with the issue of uh, the exploitation of young people in the Bay Area around this issue, uh, it it makes a lot of sense. But maybe, Sade, if you can talk a bit more of why this particular issue is very important to you all. Well, we've been homeschooling Yasimabet this year, and as we move through our city, we can't help but see what's happening. And there's not enough people doing something about it. Even just yesterday, a woman called me and said she was taking these flyers to pass them out to young women she sees on the street just to let them know about Missy. So that was an affirmation that our young people are not necessarily traveling together. Sometimes they are, but and that shouldn't be the thing. Everybody shouldn't be in fear, but we have to have more awareness about what's going on. So there is wisdom in our young people as they move through and we also are holding more people accountable if we see something that's not right Mm -hmm. um yeah especially especially when it's happening in our own backyard it's important to bring up the uh, recent uh judgment regarding the young woman who was being exploited by the oakland police department that whole sex scandal as well i mean this is something that's that's rampant in our communities but also being uh perpetrated by people of uh, law enforcement as well. So, you know, this is definitely something, a, a worthy uh, issue and, and definitely needs to be addressed. Moving forward, though, you have this event, this fundraiser happening this coming Saturday. You're mm-hmm. an amazing baker. You know, I've had a chance to actually taste some of your product. What can our listeners expect if they happen to show up tomorrow at Red Bay Cafe or Red Bay Coffee headquarters located at 3098 East 10th Street in Oakland, California? What can we expect? So some of the things on the menu are my chocolate salted caramel cupcakes, my, um, what was I going to say, my spicy chocolate raspberry cupcakes, 
as well as my vanilla rose cupcakes. There will also be lemon pound cake, granola and almond orange and almond cardamom shortbread cookies, as well as drinks, maybe pizza, some other things. Um, but yes, it's going to be a great event, and I hope anybody who can come out tomorrow will definitely do so. And this has been. Almost- and I just like to chime in, Anita. Yasima Bet um, is only thirteen. She's turning fourteen this this summer, but it's it's really about youth knowing that if you have a passion, if there's something that you feel strongly about, nurture that, nurture that talent, and it will be recognized by your family, by someone in the community, and keep working at it. And people are pouring out their heart in love. Everybody's donating their time to this event because we believe in what Yasima Beth's doing. We've been watching her for the last few years, mastering her craft to the point that she has something awesome and beautiful to share and she's just getting started yassi bakes wants to have products in 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 the the stores she wants to feed you we want to feed you and we're making it legitimate so that that can continue and it can be a model for other young people to find their craft their passion and do something with it now you don't have to always wait until you get that master's or that degree to do something that you feel strongly about absolutely Sade being the mother of this uh, extremely talented young woman uh, how have you seen her growth since that show uh, and do you at all see, see do you at all feel like it's helped to center her focus around knowing that this is what she should be doing because clearly uh, she's following her passion and uh <laughs> it seems like she's walking in her in, in her purpose as well. I think um, we keep affirming this is just one of the many great things you'll do. Nice. This is just part of the journey. And even for her to not get too focused on the identity of Baker, because she's developing so many skills at one time. Mm. She's taking a business class at Mills College with Michael Bush. We've done the Milestone Maker program through NASDAQ. We're acquiring incredible skill sets, and we're also meeting new people in the journey. And you just never know what those connections will lead to, especially when you're applying all these tools that you get. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of what's next and what I'm so proud about is that she hasn't compromised her standards. Mm. We've had opportunities where she's like, oh, well, you can scale up and just use these ingredients. And she said, no, I'd rather hold my integrity. I don't want to get big too fast if that means compromising my ingredients, where they come from, or any of my values. And I respect that tremendously. And it's a, it's a sweet balance because I think we support each other a lot. Be that I came from a world of cooking and downsized so I could nurture the family. And now I see it being infused in Yashima Bet, you know, through also her father is an incredible cook and artist, Abi Yehuda. And we've just become this really tight team. And I think the goal isn't just about pushing her, but it's nurturing a family brand that is here to serve community. And that's really a more true model. Nobody can really do any business by themselves if they grow and get big. And um, we realized that as her parents, that she needed us to really hold that so she could continue to be that creative inspiration and study and make up her recipes and now we're just in the process of mastering them all and multiplying them so that uh, more people have the opportunity to see what we're doing. Excellent. As we begin to wrap up, many times as parents uh, you're in a position of wanting to teach your child something or nurture them in a way that they can go off and be you know, successful, productive adults. As her parent, what have you learned from your daughter? Hmm. <laughs> I learned to have a lot of fun that, you know, if you're not, if, you know, as, as an adult, I think we get into work mode and sometimes we can, that part can slip in the back that this is, should be always, there should be some fun, there should be joy. And if you're not in that, why are we doing it? Mm. And so if I'm giving her that message, 
she gives it back to me. Nice. And I'm also learning to stay strong and to keep going. Sometimes I'm like, is this possible? Can we really do it? And she's like, I've done it. I called 500 people <laughs> or they're on my list. And so she keeps me going. Right. She has a lot of fire. Well, absolutely. I mean, in the independent spirit of you all, you know, when we talk about the family business, the fact that you all are like, let's build our own kitchen because there was a period of time like right after the champion uh, the kids baking ca- championship he was like well where can we set up where can we go and then now a year later you're like no we're, let's build our own kitchen so it's like do mm-hmm. it you know mm-hmm. ground up do it do self that's d- very much the bay area i just want to say that that's very much that bay area mentality of like we can make it happen for ourselves so again tell our listeners about the fundraising the fundraiser happening this saturday so tomorrow, Saturday, June 3rd, I am hosting a fundraiser party. Tickets are at the door as well as online. If you search Yashi Bakes, we need dough fundraiser. You can buy tickets there. Children 12 and under are free. There will be plenty of delicious desserts as well as live music from lots of different youth performers in the Bay Area. Excellent. And do you have a Facebook uh, fan page? Yassi Bakes is spelled Y-A-H-S-H-I Bakes. You can go to YassiBakes.com or Yassi Bakes on Facebook or on Instagram. All right. Again, uh, thank you both for taking the time to speak with us today here on Hard Knock Radio, and I wish you luck tomorrow. Thank you, Anita. All right. Y'all take care. Thank you. Yeah, it sounds so beautiful. Peace of hope in the East Jerusalem. Palestine on the mind and the presence of the divine. It's time to shine, 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 yeah. Keep shining like the morning star. Let the whole world know who you are. Let us break down all boundaries. It's time to set our people free. And if I die for our freedom, just tell the children I believe in them. And let their light shine for the world. That's how you get to heaven. I've been searching for my purpose, y'all. Never really thought that I would get this far. Shows what you can do when you just take a chance. I ain't really do this, this is God's plan. Walking with the people, this is God's land. How could I think I'm not protected by God's hand? He revealed it to me so I'd understand. It ain't no turning back now that I be goddamn. Please forgive me for my sins. So, so much love just trying to learn to let it in. Had to let go all my fears just to get here. See how some living in my mission became crystal clear. Revolution starts from the soul. Through all my travels, the love of the people be exposed. The message came to me like the prophet, and I was chosen. Felt so divine, walking through Palestine. Felt like a miracle, so spiritual. And even when I'm all around the world, I'm here with you. And I'ma let them all know how you so beautiful. My family and wife, keep shining that light now. Keep shining like the morning star. Let the whole world know who you are. Let us break down all boundaries. It's time to set our people free. And if I die for our freedom, just tell the children I believe in them. And let their light shine for the world. That's how you get to heaven. 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 Sacrifice, name your price. I know it's coming back in the afterlife. Lay my burdens down at the foot of Christ. Feeling like I'm trapped in hell. Looking for a window in the paradise. Searching for the truth, cause all they tell us is a lie. If you stand for truth, they kill you. So guess I'm ready to die. Had to see with my own eyes when Jesus was crucified. Know that grandma looking down on me, demon gleaming with pride. Seeing how I walk amongst the sacreds and the ancients. Taking pictures, seeing scriptures recreated, and seeing faces. Knowing we come from different places and conversations. Feeling like we all related in similar situations. Dividing nations, the occupation, police militarization, settlements, gentrification, refugee camps, just like my ghettos. It's time to wake the people up. Third day flow like heroes go. Keep shining like the morning star. Let the whole world know who you are. Let us break down all boundaries. It's time to set our people free. And if I die.
believe in them And let their light shine for the world That's how you get the help Keep shining like the morning star Let the whole world know who you are Let us break down our boundaries It's time to set our people free And if I die for our freedom Just tell the children I believe in them And let their light shine for the world That's how you get the heaven. 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 Keep shining. Let your light keep shining. All around the world, keep shining. Show the world who you are. Sacrifice, sacrifice.
are listening to KBOO, Portland, Oregon, 90.7 FM on your Portland dial, KBOO.FM on your everywhere on earth internet dial. Stay safe, stay sane, stay tuned. KBOO.